0: And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks, Internet Radio Broadcast. Red alert, all hands to battle stations. Engage.
1: Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities.
0: I think you should be destroyed.
1: The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to earth. Go back. Thou
0: shalt most certainly die.
1: Protect yourself, Captain, without will destroy you. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself?
0: Can just get down to it, please? Get us out of orbit! One minute to auto-destruct. No! Shut up, Wesley. <laughs>
1: ah! ah! oh, We're through running from these bastards. Perhaps today is a good day to die. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 66. I am Chris Honeywell and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hello. And yeah, you might be noticing right now that there's just a Star Trek TNG episode up this month. And last month there was just a TOS which was kind of special cuz we had Uncle Randy, so we sort of put all our energy into that. Right. So, so they, they may be wondering what
0: the hell is going on with Star Trek Monthly Monday.
1: Well, we got it. kind of got a really good episode of TNG. And we were mm-hmm. going to do a little catch-up and do two episodes, but I think you were mentioning the next episode might not have been one of the greatest episodes. I think I put it this uh, way. That one
0: sucks!
1: Yeah, that one, I don't like that one. So you guys can look forward to that next time. <laughs> we decided not to taint this episode with that. I mean, Get the wh- stank of that episode all over this episode. But exactly. don't worry, we'll, we'll be back to our regular format next month. It... it partially saying it right now to to make sure that we have to do it but we'll have our two episodes and in, in your comics and all the star trek-y goodness of normal star trek monthly monday
0: yep as you guys have hopefully noticed hopefully you've listened to uh all the content that we put out for for last month you know, we have a brand spanking new Star Wars show at the beginning of the month. Uh, you know, when we have a brand new uh, Disney-related show at the end of the month, those are rather big
1: productions. So between
0: those and well, it's, and, a, it's,
1: a, it's, a, it's uh, a it's 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 a Monday and October and December are big banner months in Two True Freaks because right. it's like Christmas and Halloween seem to be when. So I, I spent a lot of time working on the the horror show short stories this this month, but. October ended up being a pretty banner month. Oh, I thought Put out it was Two positive. new shows, and yep. it's just, it, it, seemed to, it seemed to be a lot of fun. Getting some really positive feedback
0: on them as well. But because it was uh, such a big month and everything, um, well, frankly, just something has to give somewhere. So just in order to, to stay ahead of the game, uh, I don't want to say we're shorting Star Trek Monthly Monday, but yeah, well, we are kind of shorting it. We're man, shorting
1: the Kirk. We're giving yeah. the Kirk the short end of the stick. <laughs> we
0: gave Kirk the month off. Yeah. But yeah, we will be back with, uh, with two regular, uh, Star Trek shows next time. And we will try our best to get a little more caught up with, uh, with TNG as well, because, uh, we have not forgotten the comics, my plan. And I have no idea when this is going to happen, so I'm not going to throw anything <laughs> definite out on this. Cause I don't want to be roped into it, but the plan as it is half formed in my brain at the moment is to do kind of a fast forward, Uh, for the TOS show. Do kind of a fast-forward through the rest of the crap that we've been weeding our way through and get to the good stuff, meaning the Peter David stuff for TOS. For TNG, uh, it's just a matter of I want to sync the shows back up. Because that was the nice thing about how we were doing the TNG uh, comics is that we were pretty much synced up with the show.
1: Yeah, Yeah, they were running parallel. How long you can keep that up you never know but yeah. yeah as long as we can it would be nice, yeah so
0: it's just a matter of figuring out okay where are we where should we be and all right now let's maybe we'll have to do a little bit of of a fast forward on that as well or maybe just like one comic centric episode to get us right. back you know in perfect sync or whatever but we'll we'll figure it all out we'll get it all hammered out eventually so Look forward to that, but uh, you said you had a little bit of uh, Star Trek goodness to bring to the uh, to the episode here at the beginning,
1: right? I did. I went to a uh, garage sale in Pulteneyville, <laughs> and I've talked on Comics Monthly Monday on a couple of the comics I got there, but I did get a stack of Star Trek magazines from the early, you know, nineteen ninety two to ninety four mm-hmm. type era. So they're mostly. You know, pretty much all the covers are really are uh, um, pushing TNG. Right. Um, is this like the official magazine or something star- like that? I I don't know if I know that. Yeah. Well, one actually is the official magazine, Star Trek: The Next Generation. It says they're all put out by Starlog. Right. Yeah. And you know they're they're in this they're in a sort of Starlog format, but they're a little they've got nice cardboard covers and are kind of square bound like like Starlog is but uh I got two of them that are just sort of um one Star Trek the Next Generation generation 25th celeb- celebration but that's cuz it's the 25th um edition of the the magazine ah obviously not the 25th anniversary of Next Generation so it's it's just sort of a uh, um has all the six season synopses in it then I've got one that's just a Star Trek 30 years celebration and that has a few articles in it but for the most part it is just a synopsis a synopsis of every episode up until when it came out so it's got a, a lot, I think one or two seasons of Voyager in it maybe just the first season no there's got to be more than one season. There's got no. Maybe it's only that it's the first season of Voyager. So it's got. So that means it must have uh, watches of. A, no, it doesn't seem to have Deep Space Nine. In it. Did Deep Space Nine come before Voyager? It did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it did. Yeah.
1: It doesn't seem to have Deep Space Nine in it. it seems to. What be, a pity. Uh, uh, Next generation, or well, original series, Next Generation and Voyager, and they're really short. You know, like a short paragraph the barest minimal description and then it has one little um like um one little section that's like the best parts and you know best lines and stuff like that and then you know some things to watch out for in, in the show so each one has a little yeah maybe half a column on a page three columns across it's a neat little book but um the other two I got There are three, but one of them's I've got doubles of one. Um, One's called Platinum Edition, Volume 1. And it's basically Star Trek writers telling you how to write for Star Trek. Seeing how I have an extra and I should mail it off to Bob Orkey. Because there's some pretty good advice in here. (laughs) Seriously, there's some good (laughs) advice in here. And I've got the other ones, the official magazine Star Trek The Next Generation Makeup FX Journal. So it's basically just a big, you know, magazine about all the mostly makeup effects.
0: Now, I know I effects. should probably know better than to open this can of worms, but I, I'm just I've gotta know. I've been curious to ask you for a while. What what's uh what's your take on all that bullshit that he's peddling about the next movie's gonna be so awesome and it's gonna be a return to roots and they're gonna be on a mission and all what do you think? What what's your assessment on all that? I'd like to believe
1: that. Oh, I'd like to believe that but I really don't have faith that Orky knows what that is right. you know what I mean and well, yeah yeah definitely I think yeah that's more of a, I guess that's kind of rhetorical <laughs> but well, yeah.
0: I, let, me, let me ask it a different way it, it,
1: for you personally
0: is it too little too late like if the next one came oh, out no it was no no no
1: spectacular oh it's, it's never too late on board if you got a good cast and give them a good they got a good cast. If they get a good story, hell yeah, I can. I, I'm not gonna forgive. It, that doesn't mean I'm going to bring into darkness back into into my bosom and embrace it. I'll right. still think of it as a suckassy piece of suckass movie making, very much like um, um, your beloved nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, I think this crew is is fantastic. And if you gave them a real Star Trek story, I think it would be probably they you could make still an epic, awesome, incredible Star Trek movie out of this franchise. It could happen, you know, I and, and it's the same thing. You know, when, uh, people are always like expecting me to gripe about the DC universe, but it's like. Hey, who knows? You know, all these movies they got coming, somebody might write it, write one of them really well, or they might get a really good director. Who knows? I'm really glad that there's the potential for something right. to happen. But, and when I first thought about it, when Goyer's like, we're going to get back to the flavor of the original show, okay, I don't really think you know how to do that, but maybe he does. Maybe I'm misjudging him. But then there was a story of we're going to put Kirk in it somehow. And that says to me that what he thinks of as get back to the original thing is more like we're going to put literal elements of, you know. Right. Of the, you know, just like they did in Into Darkness, which I know you didn't see, but I mean, it's like, here's a Tribble. You like Tribbles, right? Here's this line. You remember this line. Here's this reference. And they thought that was going, that's what the original series people want. Original series people would be very happy with a Star Trek... Well, I can't speak for all of them. But me, I would be very happy with a Star Trek movie with nobody I know in it and no ships that I recognize Mm -hmm. if it's Star Trek. If it has that idea to it. So, I hope he knows what that idea is. But why they don't do something like grab peter david <laughs> to to make one of these movies you you think he well, would I think it's entirely because
0: top. they're they're trying to distance themselves from it, it's the mentality I, I believe the mentality is is that old trek is suck trek so yeah, yeah, they're but trying guess wha- to
1: guess What's what that? they got lots of shit for into Dar- into darkness mm-hmm. and championed even you know it did it did okay but they definitely saw the writing on the wall that it it uh the first movie got them a lot of, you know, I mean you even grudgingly said, "Ah, it was, you know, it was an entertaining piece of filmmaking that I sat through and enjoyed." You know, grudgingly.
0: It's but, brainless fun. My right? Problem right, right. With it is that Star Trek shouldn't ever be brainless. It shouldn't ever be brainless. It should be intelligent science fiction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: With, with one caveat, I, I will I will back off that statement in the aspect of I think you could get away with a brainless Star Trek movie when it's like your fourth movie, you know? Because like look at look at the original Star Trek movies, the motion pictures. By the fourth one, not that Star Trek four is brainless. I'm not trying to say it is, but it's light hearted and it's it's
1: it's it's much
0: more aimed at the popular audience as opposed to the specifically Star Trek fanboy audience. So after a few a few times, you could get away with a movie like that. But leading off. With an idiotic actioner, that's not Star Trek. Well, the and thing that about an idiotic actioner
1: probably. is, is it brings in the box office, uh, but it, it doesn't s- make s- yeah. it. It doesn't. Yeah, but even though the, peop- the, the 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 all the people that went to see it went to see it because ah eh, they were in the mood for a space blast them up movie. Right. They're not good. They're not. They didn't come out of it like Star Trek. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there were a few a percentage, but. You know, it's not making, it's not going to make converts. It's not going to spark the same part of the mind and the soul that Star Trek, you know, original Star Trek can spark by, you know, just a, a few words or, or, or one scene, you know, mm-hmm. of, that comes from decades of earned, you know, characters and stuff like that. But, yeah, they're 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 it's it's uh, similar to and I hate to say this because I don't want to start no shit, but it's like Man of Steel is is Man of Steel did good at the box office. It made a lot of money, but I don't know if it made any diehard Superman fans like, you know the, you know I think it it provided a good time at the movies for for the people who are non Superman fans who are like I'm just gonna go to it's a superhero action movie. Mm-hmm. They got what they wanted from it but when you build that that real that real essence of it into it you you end up with more hardcore fans and that's when you end up you know something a misstep like into darkness if they had hardcore fans behind them on it could lead to a you know not more confidence in the next movie but obviously They registered the distaste and distrust from Into Darkness, and they're trying to adjust that. So, yeah, I... Short answer, no, I don't have much faith that that, uh, it's going to retain some element of Star Trek. I'm sort of hoping that a new TV show will come along, and that will do it, because you sort of would have to. You can't budgetarily do... In action and maybe that will be maybe maybe into darkness could be a blessing in disguise cuz it could mean another series of budget cuts for Star Trek which we know historically thrives
0: <laughs> on well, it well i'm wondering you know in in the modern cinema model for things in- like this a lot of them are these days are made to be a trilogy it's it's three movies and then they're done and yeah. then they're looking at you know the next reboot or whatever. So I'm wondering if you know whether it's awesome whether it sucks if that'll be it for new
1: Trek and then yeah, the something else young. will come along. The actors are young. They got 20 they could do 20 more years of them if they really wanted to if they if they had the response. But on
0: the flip side maybe by, young. Maybe, maybe they won't want to do it beyond that.
1: Maybe if Star Trek 3 is just the loser a loser d- or piece of shit too. Um Maybe, you know, maybe just enough of a piece of sh- shit to make its money back to get a fourth movie. Maybe the fourth movie will have to be low-budget enough so we're, they're going to have to write a good story <laughs> instead of yeah, just... Yeah, but see, that's what I, they like the after effects. each one now. That's, why I like, that's why I like it as a TV show, because at a TV show you can't screw around and just have shooting and flying and blowing up all the time because you don't have the money for it. You have to come up, you have to build the characters, you have to build the stories, you have to build ideas in order to get those episode enough episodes out to fill a season. Right. And, you know, I'm sure that was historically the case with every single Star Trek TV show. I'm sure they were constantly fighting for their money. So yeah that's what i sort of hope for i i I sort of hope uh, maybe star trek doesn't have as much to do with the director writer um you know um cast always it's going to be the cast so it should be always needs to be well cast but it has more to do with the format in which it's produced you know right because and I'll I'll say this I, I I think all in the Star Trek universe for the most part the TV shows are far better superior to the movies. The movies are were good to go to see but they weren't. for for the most part you know Star Star Trek one through three, were pretty TV showy, like and after that you know they became. big big budget go rounds you know right. Or until five, but <laughs> but still, you know, it it, it was it was never you, you you just can't you know you you go and you film a movie and then all the cast goes about their regular lives for the next few years, whereas right. when you do a TV show, they all have to basically live on top of each other and get to know you know they form friendships and rivalries and stuff and all that has an effect on what you see on the screen and and you know it, it, you do something that starts to work and so you decide you can do it some more or you can toss all the stuff that doesn't work and you can you can you, you know take 3 seasons with a Star Trek show to get it really fully firing and still have it be successful so that's what I'm ho- holding out for. I'm holding out for they're going to re you know if they realize the 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 whole rumor that there was going to be a Star Trek series on Netflix was one of those things where it's like, okay, that's a good rumor. I like that rumor to go around because maybe it'll plant an idea in someone's head because that would be a great thing. Right. And I think it would be huge. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Star StarTrek.com has every Star Trek episode on. You know, YouTube still has episodes of Star Trek. On. You know, people are watching it. You know, people want to see it. It's on, it's on uh, Netflix. You know, people... It, it's there for a reason cuz people are watching it and want to see it. So I just don't see what the hold up would be. Like say you were developing a new science fiction show for TV. Why would you not want it to be a Star Trek show? You'd think that would add <laughs> a you know a huge Fan base to it, you know, it would add a lot of potential money making to it. I just don't understand what 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 the holdup is. Yeah, I'm taking everything Bob Orky says with about twenty four thousand million grains of salt. <laughs> See, for me, it just
0: it boils down to too little, too late, you know, and it, and it. I hope that doesn't sound whatever. Well, but it's, I mean, it's, it, not, it, it's not like just the star, it.
1: star Trek is done for you forever. You can never enjoy another Star Trek movie. For well, sure. that's yeah.
0: the thing is, I, I'm I'm holding out hope that three is it, and then something else will come along to replace it. You know, some some sort of sort of reboot or retooling that will be more in line that that will appeal to me more, but. You know they, they there's been several reportings of this story now of hey the next one nah, we promised man the next one the next, and it's like no 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 I gave you two chances and after the first chance you promised me you promised me you weren't remaking of Khan and you lied to me right up until the movie came out and then maybe you pretended it was what
1: we were all waiting for Yeah and and no uh, like no, it, at it at was that this point, huge I... reveal that everybody was going to go, Yes, Wrath of Khan! Exactly. And basically yeah. the, the general movie pop population said, What? Whatever the con is there lots of shooting in it? And then everybody else was just like, Well, I guess I'll go. Guess exactly. I'll go.
0: That's the thing with me is that, you know, call me rigid, call me closed-minded, whatever you want to, I can take it. It's just a matter of there are times when I think you, you gotta hold the line. If, if you said this and you meant it, then God damn it, stand by it. And that's the way I look at it. As I said, and you can go back, I have no idea what episode it is, but I know I said this on the air, that if they did a remake of Khan for the next Star Trek movie, I'm out. I'm out. And that's what they did, and I'm out. So, you know, the next one can come out and it could be spectacular. I seriously doubt it, but it could be. But... I think I'm I think I'm just done, you know? It's
1: just a matter of nope, I said I was out and I'm out. If I went and sat and told you you should you should definitely go see it, would you go see it? I might, on your recommendation, I okay. might. Okay. You're one of the few people that that are out there honestly where you can tell me something like that, even if it was even if you had come I've back I've done you wrong a few times. I remember like pre-podcast days, one of our one of our epic 6-hour phone calls where uh you were like, "So, what did you think of Superman Returns?" and I was like, that wasn't bad. I enjoyed some parts of it. I <laughs> thought Luther was great. And you're just like, <laughs> See, I,
0: That's funny. We we should go back and re-examine that at some point, because I have a feeling I haven't watched it in quite a while now, but I have a feeling I may have softened on that one, so I'd be curious to go back and check it out now. Not to the point where I softened to where, hey, I love that movie now. It's not so much that. It, it's one of those on things I where...
1: I it on it on rewatches of it. You know, I see a lot of it, you know what a lot of it was in the movie theater? To, t- to tell you the truth, it was fucking just to get crude and rude and start swearing. It was orgasm afterglow. Because right. the first... Uh, when I went into the movie theater knowing nothing about the movie, and uh, and I remember thinking, ah, I remember the X-Men movies. Brian Singer's pretty competent. And sitting back, and then the John Williams score came on, and the the credits were very you know flying through space and it, it just it's like the star wars music you know whatever you say about the prequels when it goes bam at the beginning of it you, you my body just releases pleasure hormones and adrenaline you know and through that whole opening sequence of superman returns i was like oh maybe superman did return you know and through the space shuttle flight and then after that it was just like okay you know I, I i watched the movie and i didn't get angry with it but it didn't you know i didn't get any more of that like ooh chills you know right,
0: right i got yeah, chills exactly. at the
1: very beginning and i got chills during the space shuttle plane rescue
0: well see that was always my feeling about the movies i didn't hate it but I didn't love it. Like, I felt like I should have. And was, that
1: was ultimately my problem. Well, it was it lifeless right was right for the, the most part. You know, I mean, it was. there were amusing, there were, I, I think there were a few nice, amusing moments that actually probably would have been better at place in another movie where there were, a f- and, and it was also, and those nice moments were also him sort of copying Donner mm-hmm. where it you know the the humorous parts with luther where where lois lane comes in and she's looking at the wigs and then all of a sudden luther's standing there you know and she's just about to put together with her head wigs luther and that he's standing there and that was a very and just their reaction to each other it was very that had that donner comedic touch about it but yeah other than that you know it just doesn't it didn't do anything yeah,
0: I, f- I feel the need to kind of clarify my statement, though, because I don't want to get a flood of emails. All I don't Star- want to get jumped on. All the Star on. Trek fans are just like, what? Where's
1: Star right. Trek?
0: <laughs> but, you know, it's it just real quick, you know, what I meant by soften on it, it, again, it's not that I'm saying that all of a sudden I love this movie. I, I don't. But here's the thing, is that I, I look at Superman Returns very much the same way that I look at, say, uh, Spider-Man with you know, the the Clone Saga, and then eventually what, uh, what Joe Quesada did with just, you know, just stripping away 20 years of continuity with that stupid making a deal with the devil thing. I don't love the Clone Saga. I read it. I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. I thought it had a hell of a lot of problems. But, in hindsight, knowing now... You know, If I had known then what I know now, I would have more fully embraced the whole Clone Saga thing as stupid as an idea as, as I thought it was, and so did everybody else apparently, that suddenly it's revealed that the Spider-Man we've known for, what, like 15, 20 years or whatever, was not really uh, Peter Parker, but instead Peter Parker uh, had, had been who we thought was the... You know, just that whole thing. Yeah. As dumb as that was... In retrospect, I would have fully supported that over what we eventually got. Because the clone saga didn't work, we got one more day. You know, and the whole all right, well let's just retroactively just wipe away twenty years of continuity, undo the marriage, make the deal with it and all that crap that came out of that to a point where I can't read Spider-Man now. Because I, I just I can't be on board with that. I feel the same way about Superman Returns, Retro, you know, in retrospect, looking back at Superman Returns, yes it was not the Superman movie that I wanted, yes it had a lot of flaws, but it also got a lot of stuff right that I don't think it gets enough credit for, and knowing that the failure of that movie led to where we are now. Now I wish maybe I had supported it a little bit more. You know, it, it's now, you know, you it, it's know, the I, devil
1: you know versus the devil you don't. And, you know what I mean? And to bring this sort of somewhat back to Star Trek <laughs> and, and just the general controversial geek movies and all that. One thing that I do not understand at all is people saying You know, I mean, I, 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 I understand why, um, the logic behind saying, well, maybe I should have got behind Superman returns, but it's, it's, it's not like, it's not like a run for the president or something like that, or, or a a game where you can strategize. It's like, why get, why get behind a piece of art or entertainment that you just don't like, you know? Even if you're trying to sort of, you know, um, maneuver, you know, maneuver it into, you, a, you have no idea what's coming in the future, you know. But I mean, very well that that Tim Burton Superman with Nicolas Cage could have happened too, you well. know. I mean that if, <laughs> who knows? It's the butterfly effect. If you if you nudged one way, you could have gotten something even worse you know I I, I think with at least Superman he's so iconic that you can reboot him a million times and whatever or by the time they start incorporating him into the DC universe and and all that it'll be out of the hands of single directors you know he'll he'll just be a character that can and different directors will be able to get their hands on him and mold you know, if one, if one director gets a hold of a movie that has Superman in it and puts a portrayal of Superman in it that all of a sudden everybody loves, they're going to pick up on that and work with that. So it's still, you know, everything can still go back into a direction that you like or a direction that you mostly like or, you know, or is more like it right. even
0: Well, see, I I think there's a greater chance, bringing this back to Star Trek, I think there's a much better
1: chance and greater chance of that happening with Star Trek. Star Trek's a whole universe universe instead of a single character. So there's there's infinite possibilities.
0: I think where we are at now, headed into the third movie, and again, just using current uh, Hollywood models with the third movie kind of being the make or break, or are we going to continue this or are we going to reboot it, I think that uh, there's a much greater chance that we could see a retooling of Star Trek a hell of a lot sooner than we're going to see a retooling of you know, some of the other franchises that I think are being I, mismanaged at the moment.
1: I tend to think after Into Darkness and the fact that it's Robert Orkey directing rather than J.J. Abrams that there probably will be a significantly smaller budget. I don't think they're going to take the risk with Bob Orkey that they're going to take
0: with J.J. Abrams. I know critically it was it was incredibly mixed and and very much on the on the unfavorable side, or at least that's my impression. But financially, was the movie not a success? Because I thought it still did. Into Darkness.
1: Well. Yeah. Oh no, it made good money. No, yeah, it did good. That's what I it did good at the box office. But the first movie did really good at the box office. The critics raved. This one, the critics right. liked it. The critics gave it a pretty much overall positive review, because it, it was they were they gave it all low expectation reviews, of like, hey, this is pretty good for a dumb science fiction story. You know, they gave it non-Star Trek fan reviews. It got different reviews from Star Trek fans, and those star, those fan those reviews were pretty scathing a lot of the times because. I mean the problems with the film were just painfully obvious, you know. I mean facepalm in the movie theater time seriously. So it, they know, you know, they know that they done messed up with that second. The first one I walked out of it. Everybody I was I was with was jazzed and I was like that was fun and I like all the I like all the people in it. This it was mindless, but you know what? It's an introduction. Now we know everybody. Now we can start hitting a five-year mission. There were like possibility. I was thinking, man, it would be great if they continued this with Pike as the captain. Right. And uh, you know, it just could have it could have gone in all different ways. And I was like, that was I that could have been really bad. And I had fun with it. And uh, it was really nice with the, the the music at the end was was really rousing. I liked the new Star Trek theme. I thought that they came up with a very Star trek you know, fit right in theme and it worked right in for me and then Into Darkness took all that goodwill and just spent it, you know, just tossed it right out the window about 40 minutes into the film 45 minutes into the film. The first 45 minutes are like pretty similar to the first film in acceptability. <laughs> And then it just tosses that all out the window, and it's all just stupidity from that point on. It's it's, it's writing laziness. And the thing about Goyer is he's had lots of quote-unquote successes, but they've pretty much just been stuff that he's had his name in. You know what I mean? There doesn't seem to be many right. like straight-up David Goyer scripts. Right. It's like, ah, David Goyer did the third draft of this with five other people and blah 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 so he's good at getting his name on stuff but when you start seeing stuff that he was like directly like written by David Goyer it's usually some really crappy movie <laughs> it's usually something pretty bad i can't remember what the made for tv one was that he did but it was terrible it might have been Nick was it Nick Fury? Uh it could be. I, I really think don't know. He had a Nick Fury pilot or something like that. It Is was that off. the one with David Hasselhoff? Yes, yes. I think yeah. he wrote the Hasselhoff Nick Fury <laughs> thing. And so, you know, other and 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 a lot of his stuff seems to be just like uh, a s- semi-skillful hacking and pasting of many different stories from different continuities into one. To the movies to get all the different fans at least appeased you know like with right. the with with the the Batman movies seem to be an amalgam of different elements of of modern Batman's just to keep people happy, which is what they I think that I think that came from the spider-man movies you know the the, the three What's his Spider-Man? Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: I I knew I might have opened a can of worms with that one, but I was just
1: I was just (laughs) curious where you
0: might be at with that.
1: What else did you have? That's about all I got. Next generation style. I got a nice uh, Star Trek coloring book, but that's gonna have to come up in the next in the next uh, original series.
0: Oh, we actually have some emails if you feel like we have some time to cover these real quick. We've got one here entitled, No Spam! Two True Freaks Episode 416, Star Trek Monthly Monday 1701. This is from our good friend Tim Elliott, and I just want to throw it out there. Tim Elliott is awesome. He knows why, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Tim Tim Elliott, awesome guy. All right, so he starts this one off saying... Hailing Frequency Open. He says, Hello, Scott and Chris. Just finished The Savage Curtain, and I have a few observations about this little third season gem. I always revisit an episode after listening to Star Trek Monthly Monday. That's
1: what it's awesome. supposed to do. Cool. Or you can always listen just before, either way. Just
0: before, yeah. Uh, he says, Number one, he says, While in orbit, it is stated that the planet is covered in molten lava, and it is impossible to support life forms. Uh, when they beam space linkin aboard, Spock says he briefly registered as mineral, living rock. They all seem puzzled by this. But is this uh, is it not the Horta, uh, is not the Horta a silicon life form made of mineral? Exactly. Uh, why does it seem impossible for a similar life form to exist? This planet seems to have uh, life forms similar to the founders of DS Nine. There are no individuals, just a mass of beings merged in uh, one large pool of lava see that's kind of my problem and and this is not just star trek is you have to remember the era that this came out during this era when this show was being made there were no reruns so they could play a little fast and loose with these things so that when you watch it with today's mentality where everything's out on dvd or netflix or youtube or whatever you watch the episodes if you especially if you sit down and like binge watch them you can drive yourself crazy going. Wait, wait, wait. Why don't you remember last week when this happened, or, have- or you know, in the last season when that happened? And it's because they were almost betting on you not remembering the finer details. Well, you know they had mean?
1: all these writers who had to write the stories in and out of sequence. They were write, you know, yep. given and then rewritten or whatever, and they were given a general, you know, overview of the stuff they had to know but you right. can't you know you just can't memorize every detail and that was i mean i'm sure the stuff that they gave the writers to you know make sure all their continuity was in line was nowhere near as exhaustively informative as like any minor wiki you would find right, yeah. these days so yeah that how the you know some joe schmoe writer who wrote the savage curtain just You know, probably didn't read. They might have given him synopsises of all the shows, but to remember that the Horta was a silicon-based, you know, and there were no Star Trek fans, and he it was just somebody. He was like, "I got a job on this show, and here's what they do. They don't. They didn't care. (laughs) Right? They they wanted to. I'm I'm sure they cared as far as like getting you know getting their paycheck for the the thing, but it wasn't like "Mm, I'm. Maybe by the third season, actually, possibly, but yeah, it's, it was a whole different era, and they're pretty good with it now nowadays, like by the time they got to Next Generation, not that they were perfect. Number two here, he says, when Space Lincoln
0: asks if he can come aboard, he asks Kirk if they still measure time in minutes, and Kirk says that they can convert to it, since when have they expressed time in anything other than minutes, hours, and seconds? Yeah, this is one that I think we, I think we talked about that during the episode, or at least I I meant to if we did not. But also, I over the years I've come to I used to look at that as yeah yeah that's kind of a continuity thing, but now I kind of look at it as maybe Kirk's having a little fun because he almost has that kind of yeah you know that kind of Kirk smile that kind of Kirk grin like you know I'm having a little fun with this you know so maybe it wasn't it's uh, the exact same reaction if Riker would
1: have met. Lincoln, too. It's right. Just, all right. Whatever. I'm going to humor you, Lincoln, because, right. man, it's awesome to meet Lincoln. <laughs> Hope this is Lincoln.
0: This number three. says, watch Kirk's face when Surek is crying out. He really looks pissed. By the way, Surek is played by Barry Atwater, who played the vampire in, Col- in the Kolchak pilot movie. Hmm. Wow. It I haven't seen I that in a long time. Uh, He says, number four, who would have thought Klingons were such great impressionists? Kalis could be a supporting character on the Lincoln Con Buddy Cop show. (laughs) (laughs) They're based in Vegas, and Kalis
1: has a uh, nightly nightly club act doing impressions, he says. He's like Michael Winslow. He does all sorts of sound effects, too. (laughs) He even writes here. I like this. He's, He's
0: even got kind of the opener for the show. He says, They're out of time and out of control. One's an ex-president, the other a savage barbarian. Together, they're history's best cops. I love it, man. I want to see that show happen. Right after the uh, Golden Girls. <laughs> all this said, I really dug the episode. I think the rock creature is well-conceived, and I love his voice. Yes, I do, too. He says, when you finish with TOS, will Star Trek Monthly Monday continue with just TN, uh, TNG, or might you add DS9 or Enterprise into the mix? I vote DS9. Well, as so let keep know. the show
1: coming, and that's from Tim Elliott. What were you going to say? I was going to say, as he now knows, and if he doesn't know... Um, we have a DS nine show. We do now. Yep, yep. Listen to the prophets. Yep, we have listened to the prophets. You know,
0: to answer the question though, you know, uh, you know, it's definitely Star Trek Monthly Monday will continue beyond TOS. Oh, yeah. um, I'm not sure exactly what we'll do. I know that uh, we, have we could t- discuss many times talking about the animated series for sure. Well, and...
1: I love. Mm-hmm. I've been plotting and scheming for longer than I should because. I was sort of dangling it in front of the hair metal hero, but the hair metal hero and I sort of wanted to do the animated series mm-hmm. with you too, of course, but you, the, I know, I, I know how you feel about the animated series. It's like, there's a few episodes that you really like, and right? And like the rest of them are sort of like in the same category as maybe the, uh, gold key comics. Right. So, So, you know, but that's, I mean, that's, that's almost like a mini series, you know? Right. I think there's what, two seasons of that. Right. And uh but yeah, we could either I mean we we've discussed many things, like we could work on going through um the next generation faster. Right. Or we could we could do the next generation and just plop like maybe Voyager in where um the original series was, and start working through right. Voyager. There's a lot of things we could do.
0: There, there are. I mean, I, I had several ideas. For one, you have to remember that you know, there's there's an infinite number of uh, of Star Trek comics. You know, TOS based comics that are out there. We could do that alone for years. Oh my to come. god. And, um, and, and there's and, all the novels, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind occasionally, as we could find time, of course, you know, do the occasional novel. You know, pick one of the classic novels. You know, one of the, like the early timescape ones or something like that. And
1: wouldn't it be awesome if something by, like that? By that time, there was an awesome Star Trek TV show, and we were that would be nice to date like episodes on the new Star Trek shows coming out. That would be really cool. That would be nice, and it would be, um,
0: <laughs> and I wouldn't mind personally. I wouldn't mind doing uh, doing something focused on enterprise. You know, I, I really have come to uh, to be quite the fan of that show. So I mean, you know, there's there's definitely possibilities, but yeah, it's just because TOS uh, will eventually end doesn't mean that you know uh, that, almost that's all it. those
1: possibilities are um, attractive to me because I'm not from fami- I'm I'm familiar with probably like half to three quarters of TNG and then almost nothing beyond that <laughs> almost nothing so it's it will all be new and uncharted and I I can't see how I won't like it you know I mean there might be some that I prefer over at others but I'm thinking a Star Trek TV show is better than just a normal TV show so we'll see but I, I'm 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 open to all those possibilities
0: Right. Next one here is entitled Star Trek Monthly Monday number 62. This one is from our friend Greg Kirkman, and he says, Greetings, uh, greetings, freaks. Over the last two months, I've finished reading the first volume of DC's Star Trek and look forward to hearing your coverage of the remaining issues. The Peter David run at the end of the series is entertaining, but I think I'm in the minority when it comes to not appreciating his writing style as much as others'. Many of his stories, Trek and otherwise, feel too jokey, wink-wink, and hey, look at me, I'm writing for my tastes. Uh, also, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I think the Incredible Hulk was totally sent off the rails by his run. I enjoyed the run's first half, up to the point where the Hulk, uh, Hulk's personas merged, but the constant psychobabble and multiple incarnations of the Hulk have completely destabilized and overly complicated the character. It seems like there's been a different Hulk every month for the last 20 years, and I don't think that's a good thing. The whole point of the character is that he represents the raging fury that dwells within all of us. Uh, so he's a lot less relatable if Banner was already a nut job with daddy issues and multiple personalities years before the accident that physically transformed him into the Hulk. <laughs> you know, I I don't disagree with you, Greg. Uh, I think you make some uh, some very interesting points. I. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure I've told this story, so I don't want to waste time going back into it here, but I famously quit the Hulk during Peter David's run, not because of Peter David, actually, but because uh, there, was, there was something that big that they were leading up to in David's run, in the, in the first half of David's run, and then they copped out of it with a stinking fill-in issue. So I just quit the book Cold Turkey. And I think one of the reasons I never picked it back up beyond the fact that I was holding a grudge and said, I'll never buy the Hulk again, was that after that delineating line when I quit is when they got into the intelligent Hulk, where Hulk uh, retained the brain the brain of Bruce Banner became like, like basically he was, he was a scientist, but he was the Hulk in physical form. I, that just never really appealed to me. I'm with you. I like the raging monster Hulk. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: I see. So yeah, I can. I've never read Peter David, Hulk, or Star Trek. All I know is we briefly met him at Dragon Con, and he was just the nicest guy. Oh, he's a hell of a nice guy. Yeah. So, so that's and how I, I bi- I'm biased towards him, just because I met him right. and it was like, oh, what a down to earth, happy guy, you know. Oh, make no mistake. I consider myself a Peter David fan. I greatly
0: enjoy his Star Trek stuff. But again, just because I'm, uh, I'm a fan of somebody's writing doesn't mean that I'm slavishly devoted to all aspects of it. There were things he did with the Hulk that I really liked. There were other things he did with the Hulk that I was like, nah, I don't know about that. So, uh, But I definitely see uh, the points that Greg's making here because some of the, the thoughts he has here. I had the same kind of thoughts myself on the whole thing is why can't it just be simple? Why can't it just be that he got bombarded by gamma rays and now the evil part of his or not evil, but, you know, the, the raging monster side of his psyche comes out when he gets mad. Just keep it basic. Why does it have to suddenly develop into this great big overwrought thing of the Hulk is actually a manifestation of his child abuse or whatever? And it's like, really? I, I don't need to go there. So, Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, he continues series He says, Anyway, I also managed to snag all five Star Trek The Key Collection trades for a mere $25. Holy shit, dude. IDW is currently gearing up uh, to reprint the Gold Key series in an expensive hardcover form, but I couldn't resist the deal I found. The Gold Keys, uh, Gold Keys series is an interesting little part of Star Trek's history, and the novelty of just how wacky and off-model those stories are amuses me greatly. If you guys are how ever feel- hard up... <laughs> Says if you guys are ever hard up for a new segment on Trek Monthly Monday, I humbly submit <laughs> that get Chris to read a goddamn gold key Star Trek comic would be a lot of fun. Well,
1: you see, this would be this would be a this would be an opportunity for a role reversal on that one, sir, because I'm the one I I have um all I need is the last actual gold. There were I think there were only four gold key collections that. I think so yeah. That, they compiled all of them. Talking that, the trades, right? That, yeah, they were called uh, yeah, they were called the Enterprise Logs. Unlocked, I, there yeah. were four of them. And the first two were given to me by you remember Mr. Jones in middle Mr. school? Mr.
0: Jones. Not, 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 yeah, not yeah.
1: Deaf Teddy Jones from high school.
0: But Oh, okay, no, that's so what I was. Thinking about.
1: Mr. Jones in middle school. He's yeah. um, kind of a kind of a chunky fellow, right? He's chunky and he was younger. And he could, be, right. he I could must be pushed be to violence. Of you know, he was. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the guy where he used to drink on the lunch breaks and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 A little yeah, bit. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm sure.
0: It <laughs> yeah, kind of seem like maybe he one day he'd snap and like kill his family kind of guy. Well, that's how. I... Well, he. I don't
1: know. He might have been like. He's a quiet guy. He kept to himself, mostly. Yeah, he might have been, like, a uh, kind of hippie pot smoker, but, like, cut I, I think we were
0: talking about two different guys. I think the one I'm thinking of might have been middle school Mr. Jones.
1: This was middle school Mr. Jones, is who I'm talking about. Oh, okay, all right. Well, yeah, all right. We're talking about the same guy, then. All he was right. just kind of... He was sort of built like our fr- our mutual friend Vargas Pike. Yes, He's kind all of right. stock yeah, guy. He was probably in his mid-30s. Yeah. And uh
0: and I can't, you know what I just distinctly had a flash of memory of reading the Jawa Express issue of Marvel Star Wars in his uh, I think it was in study hall or detention or something one time And he
1: paid it to, and he would pay attention to what you were reading Yeah and like and and that and I, he knew I was a science fiction fan and he went over to his you know box of books and pulled out those two Enterprise logs and I probably think maybe he might have been doing a little drinky drinking, you know. to <laughs> Feel like, hey, help this kid out and and told me take him home. They're yours and it, and they were the and I was just like, <gasps> you know. And um, and then I've gotten the third one over eBay. I, I'm just waiting to find him on the cheap. The fourth one I'm waiting till I can find it for five or six bucks, which I will. Actually, right. I don't really care what condition it's in. I like them kind of beat up. <laughs> They deserve to be beat up a little bit. (laughs) They deserve to have the shit. they very bad. They've been (laughs) very naughty, those comments.
0: (laughs) He continues here. He says, by the way, Scott, I agree with you that the notion of the Magnificent Seven is something of a myth. Doing a bit of research, I've come up with the following list. This is why I love our listeners. So listen to this. Cat's Paw, who mourns for Adonis amok time mirror mirror the deadly years i mud the ultimate computer assignment earth elaine of Troyus, the enterprise incident and the children shall lead spock's brain is there in truth no beauty the tholian web for the world is hollow and i have touched the sky day of the dove let that be your last battlefield the mark of gideon and the savage curtain these are the only episodes to feature all seven characters together so less than a fourth of the entire series featured the quote-unquote full ensemble cast and of course the first season didn't include Chekhov at all so here yep. are all of the episodes where the flip the page magnificent six appeared the corbamite maneuver mud's women the enemy within via technicality or uh, Hura can be brief uh can very briefly be heard via the intercom uh, the naked time balance of terror, the Galileo 7, the Squire of Gothos, Arena, Tomorrow is Yesterday, the Return of the Archons, and uh, the City on the Edge of Forever, and Operation Annihilate. That's 11, technically uh, 12 if you include the enemy within, out of 29 episodes in the first season, so less than half of them. Uh, just goes to show that the believability that gene roddenberry strove to maintain early on has slowly eroded during the first half of the first season roddenberry worked hard and massively rewrote every script submitted to give the star trek universe pardon me a strong sense of believability and consistency the enterprise felt like a real military ship with crewmen coming and going depending on the needs of a story Somewhere along the way, however, the notion of The Magnificent Seven cropped up and so the movies featured those characters almost exclusively. While the characters are iconic and beloved, it does absolutely stretch credibility that they all stayed together on the same ship for decades with no major promotions, transfers, or deaths. The motion picture worked well enough as a reunion movie. But wasn't that realistic, since only uh, since it only took place a few years after this? Or excuse me, wasn't that unrealistic? Is what I meant to read here. Wasn't that unrealistic, since it only took place a few years after the series, *The Wrath of Khan* started introducing new blood in the form of Savick and removed Spock from the playing field. However, the search for Spock and the voyage home immediately thereafter put the brakes on any growth or change for Trek by resurrecting Spock, demoting Kirk, and unceremoniously dismissing Savick and David Marcus. Sulu's promotion to captain was cut out of uh, the Wrath of Khan entirely, although it is in the novel. Uh, Our heroes were given a new ship uh, with everyone at their old post, despite there being three officers with the rank of captain aboard. In a way, New Trek seems almost like a natural evolution of the unrealistic think that's crept into Trek over the decades, except now it's more bad fanfic than anything else. Thanks, Greg Kirkman. And dude, I, I you know, I completely agree with it. I think that's one of the reasons I, I've always, you know, when I was a kid, I used to look at... You know, in the in the early days of the Star Trek movies, I used to look at two, three, and four as kind of like a trilogy, and and that mentality is still out there in a lot of ways. That two, three, and four are are this great little trilogy, but in a lot of ways, I kind of look at one, two, and
1: three as being the trilogy really. And I look at four as being sort of a little buffer, and then the rest of them, you know, the other the, the what were the two, five, and six, right, being the sort of it was an attempt to uh, five was all right. Shatner gets his turn and six was like, let's try to recover the franchise. And then it was over. (laughs)
0: Right. Well, I, you know, I, I really favor the first three because of, you know, the reasons that Greg lays out here, it it does have a, a less unrealistic feel in the sense that uh, just like he says, one is the reunion. Let's get the old gang back together again. And then, Two, maybe a bit of a stretch because two is a significant number of years after one, which a lot of people I don't think realize that. I don't think a lot of people realize that there is supposed to be a good chunk of time has passed between one and two. Basically, two, when it's set, is the same number of years after the end of the series as real time if you know what i mean so when kirk refers to things happening happening 15 years ago that's because that's how long it was on the uh, lo- how long ago it was on the tv show that's not the case with the first movie in the first movie in star trek the motion picture they've only been a, off the enterprise you know the the five-year mission just ended like a year and a half ago so the timeline's all kind of screwy but but Star Trek two catches us back up to real time, you know, the, in the progression of time. So that means a lot of years have passed between those two movies. So the idea that they are all still together and serving on the same ship. Yeah. It's, it's stretched a bit. And I think that's why Chekhov is not on the enterprise right. in the beginning of that movie, because I think they're acknowledging that, yeah, this would be a bit of a stretch for them all to still be here and yeah, nobody's no, everybody
1: should scattered all over the place. You, know? you
0: You. would think so. But I think that's why they did it with Checkoff is to kind of mitigate that a little bit. It's almost like they're acknowledging to the fans. Yeah, we know it's a bit of a stretch. They're all still together. But look, they're not all still together because Chekhov's over here. And he's, you know, first right. officer on another ship
1: kind of thing. But well, we'll figure
0: out how to work him back in. <laughs> right. And then, of course, three. The thing I've always loved, loved about three is it's not a mission. You know, it's not like an official mission. You know, it's it's yeah. these guys getting banding together for their, so you can forgive the fact that it's all of them together again because there's a reason they're all together again.
1: Because I it's think not a 2 mission. and 3 is the TV show entries into the right. movies. ones. they're the most they're the most like the TV show. They have all the most elements of the the TV show and they play out more like a TV show.
0: Right. But then four is four is kind of where you lose it with the credi- credibility factor, because, of course, you know, four starts out and it's just a continuation of four. That's the reason everybody's still together and all that. But at the end of that movie, when it shows them flying away with a brand new enterprise and here they are, they're all together again. I, I completely agree with, with Greg. Now you've got three captains right. serving on the same ship as bridge officers. That doesn't really fly.
1: And well, you know they got to be like, yeah, I love Kirk, but you know what? I want to be captain sometime, and he does sort of get on your nerves after a while, you know. That's how. That's. I mean, yeah, everybody's gonna wanna do their, live their life, you know.
0: Right. Well, especially you know the you know, Chekhov had been first officer on another ship. Sulu, you know, as Greg mentions here, it, it was extra, I mean, excised out of uh, the filmed version of The Wrath of Khan, but in the novel and in the original shooting script and everything, Czech, um, Sulu, rather, was in line to be captain of his own... You know, he's, he was about to ascend to the captaincy. So now it's you've like got one, of his, right one back of his guys stuck right back in their three. position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Plus, it, it just... You know, it probably wouldn't annoy me so much but it's the fact of at least on the old show you would occasionally see other people in those positions. In the movies you don't. Once I Leia bites the dust in the first movie that's it. Then it's Sulu and Chekhov man all the time at the. and that's just so unrealistic because <laughs> They've got to take a break sometime.
1: Well, in and that position, be, oh, you would think you would always have new guys coming in. That would be a like, I figure that is almost like an entry level position on the bridge. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. You've reached a level of skill and talent to get onto the bridge in responsibility, and then you're driving the ship by the captain's orders. But you know, you're on your you know you're on your way somewhere. You know. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody on the bridge, usually, except for the captain should pretty much be in that position. You know, I was just realizing here, we have another
0: uh, email here, but this was actually addressed to uh, Paul, Andy and uh, and Sean for the uh, the episode that they did for us. For assistant editors month, all about ah. their DS9 episodes. So, I'm wondering if I should just forward this on to them to be addressed on their show. I think I will. Uh, do that. Uh, on the Listen to the
1: Prophet show, that's a good idea.
0: Yeah, I will do that. I will forward that on to those guys. Last bit here is uh, just to mention this is a, just a quick little link that was sent to us uh, by our good friend Mei Yi Chun, which
1: you know, we haven't heard from me
0: in a long time. So, uh, thank you for writing in, Mei And he just he sends me a link here. Uh, there's a, a new book that came out. of course this uh, email is a little bit a uh, little bit old now. this is from back in August, but uh, it was a link here to uh, it says first look Return to Tomorrow Book on Making of Star Trek the Motion Picture coming this fall. So I'm gonna have to look into that because again, huge Star Trek the Motion Picture fan. yeah a little bit. And uh, yeah, I would really like to check into that. so cool. So thanks for the uh, for the link me and it's nice to know that you're still out there, buddy I, I like hearing from you. So don't be a stranger. But that's pretty much it for this time around. Uh, do we need to take a break or anything, or what do you? What do you oh, want I'm do? ready to go. All right. So let me dig off the shelf here, my nitpicker's guide for next generation trekkers. Yes. And I'm going to find my synopsis eventually. <laughs> here we go. All right, so this episode for this time around is the Star Trek The Next Generation third season episode called Deja Q.
1: Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, the evil-minded Q is back and desperate.
0: What is it you want, Q? Sanctuary on this ship.
1: His powers have been destroyed.
0: Help me! Leaving him a mere mortal. Ah! Just one of the boys, eh? No, alien forces are out for the kill, and only the Enterprise stands in their way on Star Trek The Next Generation. The Enterprise begins with the crew... Wait, I'm sorry, the episode, rather. Let me start that over. The episode begins with the crew of the Enterprise attempting to help Real 4. The planet's moon has lost orbital velocity and threatens to smash into the planet. Suddenly, Q appears, claiming that the other members of the Q Continuum kicked him out and stripped him of his powers. Since he was no longer all-powerful and eternal, the Continuum allowed him to choose the form he would take for the rest of his life. Now, why he didn't choose the Stay puff Marshmallow Man is totally beyond me. Uh, Q chose human. Of course he did. Skeptical of Q's claims, Picard orders Worf to take Q to the brig. Picard uh, suspects Q of orchestrating the coming disaster on Brial 4. The crew continues to work on the problem of the moon. Q provides uh, Picard, or excuse me, convinces, rather, Picard that he can help. Even though he no longer has his powers, he does possess knowledge. Picard acquiesces and releases Q from his cell. Meanwhile, a cloud of ionized gas approaches the ship. I hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> this happens a lot actually is <laughs> the calamarine oh that's what I'm gonna call it from now on every time I caught one it's gonna be the calamarine attacking. Mon calamarine <laughs> uh, just one of the many species that Q tormented over the centuries they have come for revenge the card realizes Q's real motive for choosing to be human Q knew that Picard would protect him. Ah! With Q's help, LaForge and Data invent a plan to push the, mu- uh, push the moon back to its original orbit. During the attempt, the Calamaran attack and almost rip Q away from the ship. Data saves him but is injured in the process. Reflecting on Data's selfless act, Q realizes that he makes a worthless human being. Oh, I like that. He decides to end it all and leaves the Enterprise in a shuttle so the calamarine can kill him. On the shuttle, another member of the Q Continuum appears and talks with Q about the real reason Q left the ship. He knew the calamarine would eventually destroy the Enterprise to get to him. For Q's selfless act, he receives his powers back. As a parting gift, Q corrects the moon's orbits. And that's it. And it does not mention the other thing that Q does, which is uh, he gives Data his first taste of real emotions by uh, giving him a good, uh, good belly good laugh. Belly
1: laugh, yeah. Which I like. What do you think of this episode? Well, I think that, um, <clears throat> that the the um, synopsis gets it on the surface, but I don't think that was going on. I think what really ha- what happened in that episode was when they asked Q, Q asked to be a human because he knew he could manipulate, he knew not just, it wasn't as simple as like, oh they'll protect me, he knew that they would protect him and that he could get in a shuttle and put himself in a position where it was either he was going to die or force the hand of the other Q to give him his powers back or watch him get destroyed. And it, and it would he knew he would get a opportunity to do a quote unquote selfless act because you can see when the guys when the other Q is is batting it around in his head, what, what was it Corbin Burnson or whatever his name is, yeah, but is batting around and it's like all right you can, you know. Q knew that that's what the guy would decide. It was sort of, he sort of forced his hand, and he was sitting there like, mm-hmm, he's gonna bite? Yeah? Okay. And But he was playing humble, being like, ah, yes, I guess it was a little self- you know, pretending not to want to admit that he'd done a selfless act. But I think it was a classic Q manipulating everybody, and it sort of made his character seem more, seem more of a, um, a, a nice, friendly character, but it actually it sort of cements his his general asshole <laughs> <laughs> I, I, lo- I love this episode. This episode is... I remember seeing this when it first came out, or around when it first came out. Or it could have been syndicated, but I remember seeing this one and going, at the beginning of it, thinking... Hmm, maybe they're getting a little they they're feeling like they wanna shake things up a little bit and Q's a popular character and I thought this was gonna be the episode where they introduced Q into the weekly routine, you know. Right, right, yeah. Which it at the same time was very attractive to me, but it was like having Q on the ship is almost definitely gonna dominate, you know, a lot of the stories just by nature of his personality and where he comes from and the fact that he's so... So I was afraid that it might become like the Q and Data show.
0: Well, I'll be thing. honest, on that subject, this is one of the last Q episodes that we will get of any Star Trek incarnation, whether it's TNG or any of the future shows. This is one of the last time Q's a, Q appears where I don't have the reaction of going, Ah, oh, Christ. Because uh-huh. I like Q. I really do. But the problem is, is that... You know he and uh, you know he is a good example of Borger a perfect example of take a good concept and run it into the field to ground. death yeah and he just came back too many times but this you know thankfully I'm not talking about this episode this episode works I like this one this is one of my favorite episodes of the entire series and I think it works uh, for two big reasons I think that that Q, uh, is very human in this. He's very believable in the role. I mean, you know, John Delancey's just a great actor, but yeah. he really sells the role in this. Plus, I like the fact that you, along with Picard, you're you're not really sure. I mean, because Picard can makes be. some really good points of is this all just a put on? Is is this just a test? Is he just playing with us? And I can remember the first, you know, time watching this episode having that same reaction of don't buy it, Picard. It's, you know, he's just pulling your leg kind of thing. And that's why I love the scene between uh, Guinan. Oh, and yes. she stabs him with the fork. I just one of my favorite great. scenes
1: in, in, in the whole run of Next Generation is that scene. Mm-hmm. That, and, and what I love about that is it's one of those little things where it adds so much to Guinan's character. Yep. But it's all in your imagination. It's mm-hmm. just a few. Di- you just know. It's just like okay, Guinan is on some kind of level that's close to the queue because there's some mutual respect there. He's mm-hmm. not screwing with her, you know. He's watching her like she was a like a, a you know, a lioness or something. You know, he was. Right. He was she, and she was enjoying having a matter mercy too, and. And, and she was writing a fine line of being kind of like evil and threatening and just giving him some really good advice, you know, blunt advice. It's just a great scene.
0: I agree. You know what's funny is, uh, I don't know that I ever caught this before, but I caught something in this episode that just made me laugh. And my wife was actually watching this with me. And when I saw the part... And I had the reaction that I had. She she said the same thing. She goes, "Yeah, that's not right." It's the part where uh, Q's been thrown into the brig, so he's kind of just you know chilling out in the in the jail and everything. And Picard, you know, there's there's a commercial break. We come back from commercial, and the show starts right in with it's a shot of the brig, right and so you're kind of looking across the brig from the the control panel where there's a crewman and he's in a seated position very relaxed looking seated position and the shot is across the the brig toward you know the the holding cell where Q is door opens up Picard walks in crewman that you know this is the captain walking in the crewman just kind of looks over doesn't have any sort of like fear in his eyes or he doesn't straighten up in his slouch position or right. anything and he just nods at Picard. You know, just that little head bob you would do like if you're walking down the street and like, hey dude, how's yeah. it going? And you Morning, nod Ralph. Your head.
1: Morning, Sam.
0: Yeah, and Picard just kind of does the same sort of half nod thing back and then immediately goes over to Q and starts
1: up their conversation. Yeah, maybe they're now, space Grin- poker buddies or something.
0: I mean, I was just, when I saw that I was like now, granted, you know, it, it took this many viewings to catch it. But now that I've caught it, this is going to bug me now. Every time I watch this, it's like, <laughs> straighten up, God it. Stand to your feet. That's a captain. Where's the salute? That shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you got this this slouchy, lazy bastard, you know, just chilling out. And he doesn't, you know, I mean, I can He's imagine cool like when cub- I was in the service, if, if I was at, at my post yeah, and I'm right. just kind of half-assing it, and the lieutenant walks in. I'm on my feet, you know. Yes, sir. You know, you got your, you know, your salute up, and you're sucking yeah. your gut in it. <laughs> He's like suck in your gut. It's like, what's what's he gonna do? What's Picard gonna do? Throw me off the ship?
1: Throw him, throw you in the brig with Q. Uh,
0: slack slackasses, bunch of slackasses on this show. It's not anyway not your
1: Kirk's Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Kirk could walk over and throttle the guy.
1: Can't just order ten chocolate Sundays on Kirk's Enterprise, man. <laughs> Stands up for that wasteful bullshit. <laughs> I only got two little moments of sloppiness though in the show. What's that? Well, three. There was um one was where did Q get his clothes but in the commercial breaks? The commercial breaks were kinda of magic commercial breaks. Right. Um you know, he he shows up at his bed. He can't manifest himself some clothes, so someone got him dressed right up there. Well, he tucked. bitches about the
0: fashion too. He doesn't so like was, the some...
1: clothes, but yeah. where, how did he get them? You know, on the bridge, they just were like, "Get the emergency clothes from that panel." Open. <laughs> you know what?
0: In case of nakedness,
1: break glass. Right, right, and um, there was um, there was another. The the commercial break where it went to commercial on the first time Q's attacked by the Mon Cal- calamari, in his in his cell and it comes back. <laughs> it's a trap. And they just sort of skipped over the whole thing of like where they figured out who they were and all that, and they just reference it. Well, you know, there's been the, these guys are, you know. So I don't know if they cut out a scene or that that was just like they just decided to be really shorthand about it. But it's like, you didn't really know what was happening to Q, and the next one, it's like, okay, we figured out what was happening to Q. It's this and this and this. And it just seemed a little hurried. And the other one was just a really minor one, and it's, uh, uh, um, the computer does a little, like, where they mispronounce a normal word. So she was supposed to say reference. Right. She said reference. (laughs) So, so it just says to me Major Barrett was reading him off, you know. And you you know how your brain'll fart on something like that too.
0: Well, I mean that said though I'm not you would a think that a computer
1: might do that too, but
0: right, you would think that Siri of the of the 23rd century'd <laughs> be a little bit more sophisticated, but you know, I, I, you know in that context I know that when I'm talking to a computer sometimes, a lot of times they'll mispronounce shit,
1: you know? How long do you you, think it's gonna be before you can get Sirian with her voice? That would be awesome, except she's dead, so, you know, that might... well. But then
0: again, the way that uh, no, the, they can, my understanding, the way that they're creating Siri these days, is that they've got the woman that does the voice just read all this fucking nonsense all the time. and then they the can,
1: time, yeah, and, and they, they
0: take can. the pieces of it and slap it all together. So exactly. they could potentially take everything that's recorded of of Major right. Barrett and piecemeal it up, and maybe they could. That would be actually be pretty cool. I would like a Siri with uh, with Major Barrett's voice. That'd be pretty Each cool. Which one,
1: next generation or um, or original series? Working. That, right. Yeah,
0: I'd actually like that one better. To be honest with you, I, I favor the old, the old Star
1: Trek computer. Insufficient data.
0: Or you know, the one I'd really like is the sexy voice computer from. Um, yes. What the hell is that? Tomorrow is yesterday.
1: Yes. Working, working, working,
0: Captain to here. here.
1: <laughs> That'd, That'd <be> right. awesome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I saw a news story the other day that says that everything that you ask Siri gets reported back to whoever the hell makes the program. That's pretty scary, because
1: I've asked her some perverse and twisted (laughs) shit over time. (laughs) All goes into the database. Don't worry, I'm sure there's other people (laughs) doing the same thing. But, oh my god. Were you sort of hoping for a Starman-like moment with the chocolate sundae? That was I was sort of wondering if they were gonna do a like Q finally gets something positive from being human when he bite takes his first bite of chocolate Sunday. You know, what was it? Blueberry pie and Dutch apple pie. Dutch apple pie, yes. Dutch apple pie. Yes.
0: Well, we do get a moment like that with data though, in in generations. So I guess if you you know, if you had two yeah. scenes like that, it might it might be a little redundant. But we do get that scene in Generations where he tries uh, whatever that concoction is that that Guyden has. He's like, I hate this. And then he asks for more of it, which is I never knew exactly how to feel about that scene. It's <laughs> cutesy, but it's also a little stupid <laughs> at the same time. But uh, see, the problem with this episode, this always happens to me with really, really good episodes. I end up getting sucked in completely and then I don't take any notes on it. So then I don't have a, a lot to say about it, like like it's you know it almost comes across like like I don't think very highly of it just because I don't have a lot to say about it. But it's actually rather the opposite. I really like this episode
1: a yeah. lot. it's got a good soundtrack. It's every, it's it, it just does, got everything. Yeah. It's got very, it's got no Wesley Crusher. It's got very little Troy in it. Just now, stu- one
0: thing I, that occurred to me while watching it this time was that. How different an episode would this be if it took place, like, say, in the beginning of the fourth season after the Borg come? Because you have to remember that this is the next Q episode since Q Who, where he bounced them to, you know, to basically he advanced their first meeting with the Borg. Now, the Borg are on their way at this point. Mm Mm-hmm but we don't know that yet and that won't happen until the cliffhanger for the end of season three which is coming up pretty soon so i've always thought how interesting would it be that you know i mean granted they're not exactly happy to seek you or anything but they're not holding a, a grudge about the borg thing that would be completely turned around if you know, say this happened like three or four episodes into season four after they got their asses kicked right. by the Borg. Now Q shows up. He's the whole reason that they ever had to deal with the Borg in the first place. What would that confrontation look like? But then again, I mean, he does pop back up on the ship again post uh, Best of Both Worlds and I don't remember them really saying much of anything to him about it. So I guess maybe it was just kind of forgotten at that point or something, but I always thought that'd be really interesting that you know, you would think that Picard, of all people, would be really pissed off at him yeah, about that. You know, you bit. threw us into this danger that we're now going to have to live with. You know, but I don't recall that. I, I couldn't the walk, existential I danger. Yeah, I just don't recall that moment ever happening, which is kind of a shame. Maybe one of the novels addressed that or something. I'm not sure, but that'd be interesting, one way or the other.
1: Um, didn't to think of anything else I've really got on this. Didn't one. you? Th- didn't you think the aliens on the planet talked a little like the Neimoidians? Yeah, Especially yeah, that they're one right. in the very beginning that has sort of the female voice. Yeah. Well, but they're they were like
0: looked... a cross between a cockroach and a Nemoidian. Yeah.
1: They, they look like... Remember that movie Enemy Mine? They sort of remind <laughs> yes. me of the alien in Enemy Mine. <laughs> and I also thought this was a dumb thing when um, Geordi said it'd sort of be like an ant trying to push a tricycle. Or an ant pushing a tricycle. It's like why would a tricycle be the an- analogy you would pick in a spaceship, you know? I was like, do they, would they have, and, and I guess maybe they would have tricycles because, you know, it's for little kids or something, but wouldn't they have, like, astro cycles or something? <laughs> yeah,
0: they'd have floaty tricycles. Yeah, exactly.
1: Church. Exactly. Hover trikes or something like that, you know? It'd be like an ant pushing a hover trike. Well, actually, an ant could push a hover trike quite easily. <laughs> have zero friction.
0: They do that a lot, though. Yeah. That's the thing that... Well, you you talk about those little things that can annoy you and drive you crazy about Star Trek sometimes, and that's one of those things is that, you know, they will constantly refer to things like tricycles and toasters and all kinds of things that should be well antiquated by the 23rd century. Yeah. But then they'll travel back to the 1980s and act like they're idiots, like they have no concept of, oh, my God, this culture is completely... You know, it's complete culture shock, and I don't know what the hell is going on. It's like, Really?
1: Right, but every historical reference they make is to within a hundred-year period of where we are. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I mean, but that's something that, like, Roddenberry always, like, sort of said from the first, and it's and it's half cop-out, but it's not really, because it's the reality of having a successful TV show. It's like, look, you know, you can't... He's like, I'd love to make this a hundred percent realistic show of what I think the... Cause you know, he, and, and, you know, I'm, i the, there's the whole philosophy that Gene Roddenberry had behind Star Trek, and there's a percentage of that that's reality, and there's a percentage of that that's, like, his storytelling of himself, you know, and just sort of bullshitting it to make it. You know, give it some more depth and stuff But at the same time, he did have a philosophy about it And he was always, like, sort of fighting for that philosophy But he was like, you know If you're going to present this in an entertaining form That's going to make sense to people watching it week to week You can't do it realistically You know, you have to drop certain things of reality And use, you know, serial story tropes ...in order to make it work, you know? Right. Because in reality, yes, everybody would be going off to different ships and stuff. And these days, sometimes they make TV shows more like that, you know? That'll, like, follow storylines in five different directions and stuff. But not for something like a space opera, you know? You you sort of have to get everybody back together and everything back to status quo to, to go again... And everybody all the aliens have to speak English or sometimes with a British accent or something but you know so I, I sort of accept that in in a lot of ways in in all the episodes and in movies and stuff because they just sort of have to I'd love it to be completely realistic but I think the completely realistic part of anything like star trek and that's why it's so um popular is the completely realistic part of it is in your mind in your imagination right when you fill in all the blanks around everything so that leads to problems when continuity's screwed up and stuff like that or where you know physics don't match up or where they did something and then conveniently forgot that they did it the next week when it would be very convenient for them to do it again <laughs> but, you know, such as <laughs> such as weekly episodic TV. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit
0: our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.
1: You can email Two True Freaks directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks?
0: If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks! We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft,
1: which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltech, said, Soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.